How's everybody doing? Good. Who's excited for Easter? Yes, I love Easter Sunday. I love uh, not just the, the buildup, the, the excitement that comes towards planning for Easter, but I love Easter. And um, not just because I love sugar and Easter eggs, that's a big part of it. And um, when my kids come home, just like on Halloween, there's the dad tax with the Easter baskets, right? I get the candy and it's fun. But I, I love what we get to celebrate. I love that we, you know, we get to talk about not just Jesus' death, but his resurrection and what that means for us. And the people that, that come on Easter that we get to see, maybe for the first time they've never been to church before, there's so much that goes into the celebration of Easter. So as, as we get towards Easter, you're going to hear a lot more about uh, different opportunities coming up. If you check out the papers in the foyer on ways that you can be a part of helping at Easter, um, check those out. It's going to be a lot of fun, and um, Easter service is always just a, a peak for me as far as excitement and joy. So I love that we get to plan for that. And the fact that it's just five weeks away is... Uh, awesome and scary at the same time. Um, as Jamie said, she's a planner. Planning is something that doesn't come natural to me. Um, I like to be like, oh, what are we doing? Let's go. And I dive in and I have fun. And if you follow the Enneagrams, that's a seven thing. Um, seven is like the party person. I like to have a party. I don't like to plan the party. I like to have the party. So Easter is going to be, uh, it's always for me, it's a challenge with the planning, but it's something that I love to do and look forward to each year. And the, the Easter really is, this is the pinnacle of the story, right? We, we talk a lot about scripture and things that, that Jesus had done, and, and Easter is the pinnacle of all of this. A lot of what we believe and what we do doesn't matter without the Easter story. The fact that Jesus came back from the dead proved he is who he said he was, and it wasn't just a man saying crazy and doing crazy things. He really was the son of God. It's the pinnacle of our faith. And as we get ready, I want us to, uh, as a church, we're going to walk through this together. Now, what I mean is we're going to do things a little differently. Um, Palm Sunday, typically the Sunday before Easter, we're going to walk through the last week of Jesus' life starting today, but we're going to talk about Palm Sunday next week. That's going to throw a lot of people off, I know, because Palm Sunday is way, way later. But we're going to look at the last seven days of Jesus' life, and, and we're going to walk through the things that led into Easter. And there's a lot that happened in just one week. A lot can change in just one week. One of my favorite TV shows of all time is the TV show 24. I don't know if anyone here has ever watched 24, Jack Bowers, The Man. You know, there's, there's uh, if you ever follow Chuck Norris jokes, they've turned into Chuck Norris versus Jack Bauer jokes at one point. And the whole point of the show was called 24 because the, the whole season was 24 episodes and it was one day. So events occurred in real time. So every episode was one hour long and it really was one hour of the day. So the very first season, it said the following takes place from midnight to 1 a.m. And even during commercial breaks, you'd see a clock and then the commercials. Then the show comes back on and there were three minutes of commercials. Guess what? Three minutes passed in the show as well. So it was all real time. So much can happen in one day. And when you watch that show, it blows your mind what happens in one day. Well, if you look through the life of Jesus, so much happens in one week. The last week of his life, we're going to look at a lot of different things. We're going to look at Palm Sunday, his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Uh, we're going to look at Jesus cleaning the temple and driving out the mockers and thieves. Um, now, I'll just say it right now, I'm not going to bring a whip and start whipping at people like Jesus did in the scripture, but we're going to talk about it and see why did Jesus do this in scripture. It was a major event. We're going to look at the Last Supper, his final meal that he had before his betrayal. We're going to look at Good Friday and Jesus dying on the cross. Then ultimately, we'll look at his resurrection on Easter Sunday. It's crazy when you look at all these things, you think that's just a seven-day period. 
Lots of major stories. I remember in children's ministry, we actually did one thing where we got a table and we flipped it and it was, you know, the kids screamed and went crazy and it was like, guys, Jesus did this, it's awesome. We get to talk about all these things in one week. Well, we won't talk about in one week. We're gonna spread it out over the course of the weeks, but this was Jesus's last week of life and we're gonna walk with him through this. Now, next week, we'll dive into that first week, Palm Sunday. And like I said, it'll be weird because the real Palm Sunday isn't until way later. But if we break the week down, that's how we'll roll with it. But since we talk about walking with Jesus, if we're going to walk through Jesus' last week of life, I thought today would be a good time to let's, let's unpack what does it even mean to walk with Jesus. It, it's a common phrase we can hear, right? In church, you say, hey, in my walk with Jesus, or how is your walk with Jesus? In, in my life, this is what my walk with Jesus looks like. But sometimes we can use that term so loosely and, and forget what does it mean to really, really walk with Jesus, how does our walk with Jesus change over time? And sometimes we can even use that phrase in such a casual way, we don't understand how important that term and that actual reality can be. Having a real walk with Jesus. It's a big deal. So today, turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 5, and you can also dog ear Hebrews 11. We're going to uh, read about a man who doesn't show up in Scripture very often. In fact, these are the only two points we're going to hear about him. But he has a very profound, there's a very profound statement said about him in his walk with Jesus. So as you turn there, Genesis 5 and Hebrews 11, and I'll pray for us. Uh, God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for this, uh, this season, the, the fact that we get to build up to this uh, Sunday, our, our real Super Bowl Sunday, God, with Easter, where we're, we get to celebrate your resurrection. And I pray that as we talk about walking with you today, God, you, um, you really help us unpack what it means to have a genuine, real, authentic walk in relationship with you. Not something that's casual, not something that's light, but, but a serious relationship where you are directing us and guiding us. And God, I ask that you, you speak to every heart and, and you touch every person here today. And we ask this in your name. Amen. All right, so walking with Jesus, it's a big deal. Now, how does it look like for me? A walk with Jesus looks a lot different no matter who you are, depending on what you're going through. Everyone will have a different style of walk, but I think there are a lot of principles that all come into place for what should be a key component of every walk. And I think a healthy walk with Jesus will, will produce key things for each and every one of us that are all very similar. Now, questions come up. How does it look for you? How do you do it? Can you even keep up? Who sets the pace? What if he's walking in a different direction? How do you know to walk in his direction? Now, we can't answer all of these in just one week, but we can get a baseline for how to start, how to restart, and how to continue on a healthy walk with him. And this man we're going to read in Scripture, his name is Enoch, and we only find a few verses about him, but they're very, very substantial, and they say something very profound, and we can learn something profound about this short verse of Enoch. So starting in Genesis 15, Genesis 5, uh, verses 18 to 24, it says this. Now, Jared was 162 years old when he fathered Enoch. Jared lived 800 years after the birth of Enoch, and he fathered other sons and daughters. So Jared's life lasted 962 years, then he died. Enoch was 65 years old when he fathered Methuselah. And after the birth of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and fathered other sons and daughters. So Enoch's life lasted 365 years. Enoch walked with God. Then he was not there because God took him. You will almost not find any more of an ambiguous ending to a story in scripture than that. Enoch walked with God and then he was not there because God took him. And it's not all the way there later until Hebrews that you actually find out what happened to Enoch. 
what happened to Enoch? So Hebrews 11, 5 and 6 says this. By faith, Enoch was taken away, so he did not experience death. And he was not, he was not to be found because God took him away. For prior to his removal, he was approved since he had pleased God. Now without faith, it's impossible to please God, for the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and rewards those who seek him. That's crazy, isn't it? Only a few people in scripture ever get that privilege of not experiencing death, but getting taken away by God. And Enoch was one of them. He was taken away. He did not experience death because God found him and took him away. Now, what, what, this, what this suggests to me, though, when, when you read this, this is all we have of Enoch in all of Scripture. What's crazy is, is when you look through this, a lot of what you see is an ordinary man in a lot of ways. You, you don't look at Enoch, and it doesn't say that he took a stone and sl- threw it and slew a giant. That wasn't Enoch. Enoch didn't have a life where he was oppressed and thrown into a lion's den to be, to be devoured, but then God saved him. That wasn't Enoch. Enoch didn't call down fire from heaven and defeat false gods' prophets. That wasn't Enoch. Enoch was just an ordinary dude. Nothing crazy about his story. Nothing, no, no, there's no incredible revelation like Enoch went and did this and changed the world. But God found something very different about Enoch. These brief snippets tucked away in scripture, these are easy to miss, but I think they're really important to note because of that phrase. Why did God take Enoch away? Enoch walked with God. That's all we know. But I think that his walk with God was so profound, it was so deep and so personal that God said, hey, I'm ready for you. I'm, just, I'm going to take you now away from what everyone else is experiencing. You're not going to experience this because our walk is so special. I'm going to save you from this. This, I think, is a crown jewel shining in the darkness of this passage. This man, I think Enoch would be in the Bible Hall of Faith if there was one, right? He had made it. He had such an intimate walk, it was something special. Here are the things we break down that we do know about Enoch for sure. One, Enoch knew God. He knew him very intimately, very personally. There was a relationship there. Two, he walked with God. Says it right there. Enoch walked with God. Nothing else, nothing crazy. Enoch walked with him. Three, he pleased God. We learn that from scripture. And then four, God took him. That's a pretty... When you, when you look at the characters and people in Scripture that we talk about, that almost sounds basic, right? It, it doesn't, it's not, the, it's not the, the heroes of the Old Testament or the heroes of, of the New Testament. This, this Enoch is so passed over because there's so little about him. But these four things led to something so profound in his life that we can't pass up because his walk was so special. But I would love, think of it this way. If you could put anything on your tombstone one day, it says, how do you want people to be remembered? This is what would be on Enoch's tombstone. He walked with God. That would be it. What an honor that would be if people looked at you and they said, what do you know most about that person's life? If someone looked at me and said, what do you know most about Dustin's life? It wasn't his vast knowledge of comic books and movies, although I, I do take pride in that. It's not his sports knowledge and sports banter and his fun, you know, liking to laugh. But if it said, Dustin walked with God, it's like, wow, that's just, that can be, that's deep. That's really, really deep and meaningful. And this is what Enoch would have on his. He walked with God. I don't think there's any greater thing you can think of than having that. Now, having a family as large as mine, as I've shared before, I'm number seven of 15 kids. We looked out for each other. 
Something my parents always told us growing up was, you guys got to look out for each other. You, you, you guys, someday it's, it's going to be just your brothers and your sisters. You know, boys, look out for your sisters and, and look out for each other. Always have each other's backs. And we did most of the time. You know, um, for people that say I have two or three kids and they fight, multiply that times, you know, the 15. That we had all of that as well. But we loved each other. And to this day, my, my siblings are still my best friends. And I remember one time very in particular, I was playing outside and riding my bike. A couple of my brothers were with me. And I crashed and I went head over the handlebars into a bush in our yard. And I don't mean I tumbled over the bush. I went into this bush. And it was like a juniper bush and it was all scratchy and there were bugs in there and stuff. But it wasn't the bugs that were you know, upsetting. It was the fact that my face went through and hit branches. And when I got pulled out of this bush, I was messed up. And at that point, we all become doctors, right? You know, Dustin, you're bleeding. It's like, no kidding. You know, there's blood everywhere, and there's my arms and my face, and we go inside, and we start cleaning up, and my oldest brother's name is Jim. Now, when it comes to someone who wants to defend the family, Jim, I don't know if there's many, anyone else that would rival Jim's passion for loving and protecting his family. So we walk in, and uh, we're, you know, in the wiping off blood and everything, getting Band-Aids, and Jim comes in. He goes, Dustin, what happened? We then broke into this elaborate ruse. I go, Jim, Dustin was riding his bike, and these guys jumped him. And I was like, yeah, they, they just, they took, they, they hit me, they took the bike, and we got in this big old scuffle, and what was going to end really, really fun, and I, yeah, but you should have seen what we did to those guys, right? You should see them. Before we got there, Jimmy goes, what? Starts running out the door. He was going to take on these three guys. And we had to go, no, Jim, no, we're fine. And he goes, no, he was, he was on a mission. He was going to go do who knows what to these imaginary people that we had said had assaulted me. And we had to tell him that it was, nobody's out there, it's fine. And at first he didn't believe us. He goes, you don't need to protect them. Because he was all about protecting us. He wanted to be there for us and he was there for us. And to this day, I know that if anything even now in our adult lives, ever happened like that, he still would be the first one to find out what happened and he'd want to go get revenge or make it right because that's Jimmy. He loves and he protects with his whole heart. Now, Jimmy always wanted to protect, but what I wanted to, to mirror this is when we walk with God, God is like that Jimmy. God is our protector. He wants to protect your life. He loves you so much that he comes to your defense. He comes to fight for you. He brings you aid in your life situations. He gives, you, he gives us wisdom in our life when we get confused or we get, we get turned about or turned upside down. He's the one that says, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to be there with you. I'm going to do this walk with you. Why would we not want to walk with a God who is so much more able to do these things that we can't do, Right? the one who can protect, the one who can give, the one who can get us where we need to go. That's who I want to have walking by my side. That's who I want to walk with every single day of my life. But when we choose to go our own way, or we choose to say, hey, I'm going to go this way instead. I'm not going to walk with God today. I'm going to walk this way. Very seldom does that ever work out in our favor. That's when we start to see problems get produced. We start to see situations come where we don't know how to handle it, and things just go haywire. It produces difficulty. We believe we can do things without God sometimes. We can go our own way. It's like when I tell my wife I know how to get somewhere and I tell her don't give me directions. It very seldom works out for me. God is that person who's there and he's always there with you. But when we go on our own way, it comes with a price tag that we don't want to pay. So what does it mean to walk with God and what does walking with God produce? When we want to walk with God, I think something we all need to understand, when we decide I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on this walk, We've got to walk at God's pace. 
We've got to walk at God. We walk with God at his pace. It's a decision to walk at his pace. Although I know where I want to go, and we come to those points where we know what we want to do. We, we have this path lined out for us that typically a lot of times is not God's path for you or God's pace for you. We've got we've to start figuring out in our walk, and that comes with a relationship. What is God's pace for me? What's the speed that we're going to do this, and what direction is it going to take me? Most of us don't like that because we're speed racers. One thing I do love about Washington, um, I've come to love it. It drove me crazy at first, honestly. In California, speed limits are more like suggestions. It'll say 65 on the freeway. People go 85. And if you're not going 85, you're causing a traffic jam. What I've learned up here in Washington, at least in the Puyallup area, where, where we've been you know, spending most of our time this past year, speed limit is 60. When I first saw that, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to die on the road. I'm going to die because of this pace. But then I learned that most, most people around here actually go around the speed limit. Blew me away. But there was a pace, and it was set, and people followed it, and I've come to like the slower pace. When we drove up here from California a little over a year ago, GPS had it at a 12 and a half or 13 hour drive. I was determined we were going to make that window. We were going to do it. We were not going to stop. If any of you have ever done road trips, I don't know if, if you're of the mind trip, or mindset of if you're traveling somewhere, you're going to get there as fast as you can, or if you're the, we're going to stop at everything along the way and go. Um, growing up, my parents were not the stopping people. It was, we're going on a camping trip. We camped in Oregon a lot. It was, we are not stopping. We are packing food. On the rare occasion we got food, it was drive through so we could eat in the car and keep going. If you had to pee, well, you got to wait till dad has to pee because he's not pulling the car over. So I was determined... This was going to be our pace coming to Washington. We even got Avery. She was four years old. We got her a portable potty seat. So we could just pull over, squat, go, bag in the garbage, get on the road. We didn't have to find anywhere to go. We were going to make this. And that 12-hour GPS turned into a 15-hour excursion. That the pace that I wanted to go was not the pace of the road. It wasn't the pace of the environment. It wasn't crazy, a few more hours than planned, but we still wanted to get here quick. But sometimes when we, when we want to do our own pace, we start making compromises or making decisions that aren't the best decisions. Luckily, nothing on that road trip was crazy. But we can do that as people. We say, here's where I want to go. Here's the pace I want to set. And sometimes God would say, well, no, I want to go this way. But you say, no, I'm on a mission. I know the end game. I'm going to get there. I know what my purpose is but that's not what God has lined up. And we start confusing two different things. I think it's important we set, we, when we understand when we set our own pace that we don't want to confuse pace with purpose. Don't confuse your pace with your purpose. God knows your purpose. He's the one that is setting what he wants for you. He's also setting the direction and tone for this journey that you're on. He knows where you need to go. He knows how to get you there. In Exodus, if you're um, doing the, the Bible in a year reading with me, we're still in the, we're out of Exodus. We started uh, Deuteronomy this past week. And so we're still in the Israelites coming out of the desert. And they're 40 years of wandering in the desert. Now what's crazy about this is if you look on a map, and, and geographers have looked on a map, and they say, all right, the Israelites started here, and the promised land was here. You know how long that journey should have been? The range is, depending on how many people and things they had, 11 days to three weeks. That's their journey. How long did it take them? 40 years. Talk about being the, 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 that's not the car of the dad that says he wants to go somewhere, right? <laughs> A 40-year journey. But why did it take them 40 years? 
Well, there's a lot, of, <laughs> lot that goes into that question, right? Why did it take them 40 years? But ultimately, there was a lot of growing they needed to do. There was a lot of maturing they needed to do. There was a lot of discipline and, and consequence and also good growth and good just management that happened in those 40 years. God knew if they get here in 11, 11 days or three weeks, they are not going to be the people that I need to take over this promised land. There was so much that had to change. That was a long journey, but there was so much that happened. Due to their choices, God's work in their heart. It was a hard 40 years, but it was a good 40 years. When we walk with God, sometimes that pace, we want it done now. And we can even give God a list of demands sometimes. You know what, God? I want my marriage fixed right now. I want my wife to agree with me on everything right now. That'll never happen. But we want things now. We want that business that we started, that business we're in. I want this business to make me buku bucks right now. I want it now. I need this promotion right now. I need my house to sell right now. I need to move into my new place right now. Sometimes we need to say not right now. We need to say, God, when it's right. Instead of right now, we say when it's right. Understand that he's working. And in this journey, in in this walk, when you're walking at his pace, you're under construction. You are a construction zone. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. And this takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. If there's anybody here that likes to build things, I am not a builder by any means. You give me a hammer, I'll break something, mostly on purpose, but I can't build things very well. But for those of you who build, you know that a good construction project, a good quality project, it takes time. It takes love. It takes energy. It takes passion. And and if you want to do it well, it's not going to be overnight. When God works in our hearts, this is a journey. We are a workmanship. We are, he is crafting us. He's building us. He's constantly working on us. It won't be as quick as we'd like. And sometimes you may feel like you're at a dead end or a standstill. But no, even in those moments, God has his pace. We've got to walk with his pace. He knows what we need to grow. He knows where we're going to go to grow. And these children in Israel, in their exodus, in their travels, they were led by, by a pillar of fire at night. And then in the, in the daytime, they had a cloud that was directing where they were going. And there were times where it says that pillar of fire and that cloud stopped. And they weren't traveling anymore. And in those times, they got to, to build their cities and build the tabernacle and the tents. And they got to set up shop for a while. Sometimes it was short. Sometimes it was years. But in all of those travelings, there were things that they learned. There was good, there was hard. There was some bad when people decided they were restless and they wanted to move around on their own. But ultimately, God had things for them to learn in every point of their travel. There were times where he would teach them about himself. There were times where he would teach them about themselves. And he determined their pace. Isaiah 46, 11 says, I have spoken it and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed it and I will do it. If he spoke it, I love this. If God says it, you know what's gonna happen? He's going to do it. He's going to do it. The when is the hard part, but if he says it, he purposed it, and he'll do it. He will see it through. And, and, and I love this verse in Philippians 1.6. It says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry on to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And when, that, that minute when you say, God, I want you in my heart. Jesus, I'm giving my life to you. That's the starting point for this incredible work that he's going to bring to completion. It's, it's not a point where he says, hey, I built you up, you gave me yourself, good, now you're good, go on your own. It's a constant building process that he's with us throughout the whole journey. He will be there through the whole thing, and it's a great, hard, wonderful journey. But walking with him implies a step with him in the direction of him that he wants to go. But often in our walk, we can be like the kids. 
and we want to go off and do our own thing. Um, every now and then, um, I've, I've gone on walks with my kids, and Aurora is typically the walk-with-us person. Avery is the wild card. Five years old, she will either dart ahead of us to where we developed a game where we say freeze, and she freezes and waits till we catch up to her. It's really, in her mind, a game. It's me. It's a safety thing, because I don't know how far she'll keep going if I don't say stop, if I don't say freeze. Or sometimes she'll lag really, really far behind. And then she doesn't want to walk at our pace and try and keep up with us. At uh, one point, we were walking, uh, we were on a trail into Holly, and it was uh, last year, and there was some, not lots of snow, but there was some snow on the ground, and Avery's with me, and despite as much as I could encourage her to, she wanted to wear her plastic princess shoes with no socks. It's like, this is not going to go well. And I was like, but or Avery, let's go for this walk. Please put shoes and socks on. No, Daddy, I'm wearing my, I'm a princess today. Okay. So we start going on this walk. I'd only been into Holly for maybe a week, and I didn't know the trails very well, so guess who got lost? Daddy. Guess who could see the community through the trees but could not get over the path to those trees into the community? It was Daddy. Avery's feet started to go numb. <laughs> she was like, Dad, I'm just too tired. Are your feet cold? No, my feet are fine. But you could see the red glowing toes. You know, they were, they were cold toes. Then it got to the point where she was like, Daddy, I should have put on shoes. If there could have been the hallelujah choir coming from heaven right there, like, remember this moment, Avery. <laughs> this is what I told you to do. But I can't help but think, but sometimes we're like that with God. God says, hey, let's go. We're like, I want to do this walk on my terms, on my conditions. I may fall behind. It doesn't matter. I'm, I'm all good. And then we get to the point where it's just like, God, just pick me up now. <laughs> I've, I tried doing this on my own. I went on my own path. I know you can see where we need to go, and I know you're going to get us there. I knew the trail eventually would get us there on this walk. But God sees that whole path, and we need to understand his pace, his rules, his desire will get us on that path the way he needs us to get there. But if we start compromising and we start saying, I'm going to do it on my own, that's when it gets hard. But I do know that, that just like I picked up Avery eventually and said, all right, let's go. Picked her up. We started walking. And yeah, her, her feet were numb. <laughs> they, they were freezing. But I do know that God will do the same thing for us. When we get to that point, we say, God, you're right. I need you. He picks us up. He carries us. He doesn't leave us behind. He wants us on this journey with him. I don't want to be out of sync with God. So we get upset because we feel like sometimes he hasn't answered our prayers or we blame him for our mistakes or we run ahead. Especially we see those who are successful in business or relationships. We see them and wonder, what's going on with them? Why are they getting all this good stuff? And sometimes we let pride get the better of us. And we see other people, we see pride get the better of them and we forget where our blessings actually really come from. We see clearly that Enoch walked with God. He wasn't ahead of God. He wasn't behind God, but he walked with God. And that's, of all the people in Scripture, Enoch was known for not doing all these amazing, crazy, impossible things. It was him saying, God, I'm at your pace. I'm with you on this journey. I'm going to walk with you. Walking with someone, being able to walk with God means that we're going to be going in the same direction and when we walk with God, look what can happen. In Amos 3.3, it says, can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? Not really. Then you're not walking together, right? You're just going on separate walks. I don't want to get into a spiritual tug-of-war fight with God. Say, God, you walk that way, I'll walk this way, we'll see who wins. Not going to be me. Not going to be anyone who takes on that battle, right? I want to be able to walk in line with him. Enoch knew the direction God had for him. He knew the step in step with God. He knew what it would look like, and ultimately he was honored and remembered it for it. And sometimes 
most of the time, I don't understand it. I don't understand God's way of working, but I do know that he is sovereign. He determines it. And when I submit to that, it always produces better things. It always produces better progress in my life as well. And that's the second thing I think we learn from Enoch in a walk with God. Walking with God produces progress in your life. Walking with God produces progress. When you walk with God and we choose, we say, all right, God, I'm gonna make you Lord and not me. We move forward and become better because we, we realize that he is the one that's producing this. He is the one that's doing a lot of this work for us. Not saying we don't do any work, but he is doing it with us. And man, having God on your side laboring with you is so much better than laboring by yourself. Again, we don't know much about Enoch, but we know he pleased the Lord with his life and there was progress because of it. I think it's interesting when, when we look at what can happen with, with a lot of, of Christ followers sometimes in our lives. Sometimes we can have this, this moment where we're like, all right, God, I am all in and things are good. And especially if you, you come to that moment for the first time. You're like, God, I want you in my life. I'm in. Let's do this. But then instead of an everyday attitude of that, instead of saying, God, I'm going to give you today every day. God, I'm going to give you this moment. It turns into just a kind of a casual thing. We say, yep, I've got God. I know where I'm going. Now I'm just going to live life as normal. And then our spiritual walk kind of hits this, this limbo and we start kicking back and, and, and relaxing and just saying, yep, I'll, I'll get to God when I have time. Um, I'll read the Bible when I have time. But, but when we read the Bible and we read all about Jesus wanting to, to come and save us, the way he did save us and lead us to the Father, we learn that it's not just about that one moment. We learn that it's about the whole journey. It's about this walk with him where he wants us to grow. He wants to protect us. He doesn't want us to walk on our own and do our own thing. He doesn't want us to check. He doesn't want to just check in with us once in a while. He wants to be a part of every aspect of it. Not just he gets to, he wants to be a part of every aspect of it. I don't want to be a casual Christian. That's what it comes down to ultimately. Right? I don't want to be someone who just says casually, yep, I know the Bible, I know God, and that's just kind of how I, how I do things every now and then. I want it to be what fuels my life, not just a, something I fall back on, but something that leads me each and every day. I want to I live life knowing what God wants for me and go towards it, knowing that he's on my side. In fact, when we go on our own, Every chance we take to go on our own, I think we're all ultimately compromising something really, really big that God could have in store for us. And we see this in scripture. We see not just God's redemption part of it, but we see people that took matters into their own hands and they went through a lot worse things than they really needed to go through to get to these points. One that comes is the prodigal son. We talked about him recently, right? Had it all. He had the goods. He had security. He had a very wealthy dad, lots of servants, lots of land, lots of money. And he decided, you know what? dad, I want you dead. I want all my stuff. Just give me my stuff so I can leave. He left only to end up in a place he'd never thought he'd end up with the pigs. But then what happens? He comes up and he gets redeemed by God, by his father. Man, show me someone in a casual relationship with God who doesn't progress forward, right? This was a casual son who did his own thing and he had to come back to God to get his relationship going. We had David Consider the pain he felt when, uh, when he sinned with Bathsheba, when he was going his own way. He was doing his own thing. And for one day, for one moment with Bathsheba, led to consequences for years. Not just with what happened with that one baby who ultimately passed away, but with his whole bloodline. There was consequences because of this one day of pleasure with a wife that wasn't his at the time. If you read Psalm 51 and 32, you see what he experienced. He writes about his failures and how he felt like he was a wreck. 
Jonah, another person who said, I'm not going to follow God's, God's way. In fact, Jonah was quite literally, God said, hey, Jonah, walk this way. Jonah said, see you later. I'm walking that way. Clear opposite direction. And what happened with Jonah? He didn't get very far on his own. Though he jumped on a ship to get away from God's presence, God used the wonderful dwelling place of the stomach of a giant fish to bring him back. Can't even imagine what Jonah Smelter looked like after those three days. But ultimately, he was called back. But I think in these stories, we see people that, that went through a lot of heartache, people that said, in this moment, I'm going to do my thing instead. And there were consequences. But I love that God took those consequences and ultimately used those to be points of growth for these people. God can take those when we do things on our own. But ultimately, to get to that point, you've got to get to there where they said, they said, you know what, God, I did walk on my own, but now I am going to walk back. I am going to go at your pace. I am going to ultimately line myself back up with what you have for me. And then we see this incredible redemption story through them all. Nowadays, it's, we can say it's simply to grow, but have focus in Jesus. In, uh, in 2 Corinthians 11, it says this. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. I think sometimes we, we can be like Eve, and, and the enemy can, can start to lead us astray from the simplicity of devotion to Jesus and now believing that there's something more out there. I think sometimes in, sometimes in our walk we can say this, I have Jesus, but I also need something more. I need the next big thing. I need, I need this, is, this is what I saw on TV about. You want to get closer to Jesus? I actually saw an advertisement once for some, a group that was selling pants infused with the Holy Spirit. I am serious. I saw it. I read the article. I thought it was a joke. It was a real thing. And I was like, wow, where can I get these pants? And I didn't think that. I, but it was... It was, you know, pants infused with the Holy Spirit. That's, it's bizarre to me, but sometimes, and I know that, that's a crazy exaggeration, but sometimes we see, like, we feel like there's things other than our walk with Jesus. Like, I, I know I can walk with Jesus, but I also need this to get me there. And we can lose sight of the simple fact that it really is all about our walk with Jesus and what he's doing with us and in us and being devoted to him. I think in a relationship with Jesus, it can be compromised when we start looking away from him and looking at other things. For example, there, a big reason I think marriages get in trouble is they no longer, people will no longer focus on their relationship and growing with each other. They start looking at other things, other people, and that can lead down a horrible path and break a marriage when the husband and wife realize they need to focus on their own relationship. Same thing with our walk with God. We can start looking at other things, saying, you know what, I have Jesus, but I'm going to go look at this instead for a little bit. And that can start compromising and hurting this beautiful relationship where Jesus says, just look at me. Look at me, see what I want, walk with me and see where we can go. When we walk with God and we grow in him, we start to, to see the world the way that he sees it. We start to feel for the world the way that he feels. We don't see people as, as other just people. We see them as children of God who he died for, who he loves. We get, our heart gets to break for the things that his heart breaks for. We get to celebrate for the things that he celebrates for. But that all comes with looking at him and letting him be the one that says, I want you to go this way. I want you to go that way. I want you to walk with me as we go here together. We can walk together and live in a very personal way. It's important that we pour God's word into our heart because then that's how we know what he has for us. That's how we want to walk. And someone once asked me in, my, in their walk with Jesus, but how do I know? I, I just don't even know what, where to start. I would say two places. One, spark a conversation with God. Just start a conversation with him. Two, Start reading about him. 
Read about what he has. So much happens from reading and talking to God and with God that he starts pointing you in the direction and you start to reveal, he starts to reveal the love of his heart for you and he starts to show you your heart and what your heart wants and he gives you the desires of your heart because they start getting in line with his desires for your heart. I've never um, personally, um, for, for the first time in my life actually, I'm gonna get real, honestly real vulnerable with you guys in a second. Can I do that today? Um, I've, man, I'm, I'm talking about going to see a counselor. Um, nothing, me and Stephanie are fine. Nothing with me and Stephanie. Um, just for me, I've had a lot of emotional blows this past six months, um, personally, with, with family, and, and a lot of, I've had a lot of family members pass away, and their moments at home, even like right now, it's just like, man, it just, it starts to get me. And I, I talked to my wife, and she told me, it's like, you need to talk to a counselor. And so I'm setting up an appointment now to go talk to a counselor, start helping me in a healthy way, go through a lot of emotional therapy. And I, I've never yet seen a counselor for anything, but I know I'm going to. And I know that God works amazing ways through counselors. God does a lot of good therapy. And I know that one thing that he's in tune with me too is I've had a lot of Holy Spirit therapy sessions these past six months. A lot, and they have been so good. And when you're praying and getting challenged as the Holy Spirit, he begins to place his finger on things that says, here's what I want you to do. I know that, that seeing someone in my life, going and actually talking to someone to help me process through these things, this, this is something God's telling me to do. His Holy Spirit is gonna be working with me, and I know that the counselor I'm gonna see is a Christian guy as well. And he's gonna be able to, to work with me and, and help, help talk with what God's voice is for me. And, and I know that this is part of my walk with God. God walking with me is saying, hey, I'm gonna put people in your life that are gonna help you get on this journey. People in your life that are gonna help you navigate through these things. And ultimately, it's gonna be beautiful because I'm walking with you through these things. We've had, um, we've had a couple of worship nights here at church. And we're gonna have um, a, a few more this year. And, and I love that I asked a couple people during worship, I said, um, let me know at the end of worship night, has your week changed? Has your month changed? How, how, what has changed since worship night? And I love getting reports from people that say, in that moment when I was so in tune with God, it fueled me for so much longer. Because that night was a decision point for me where I'm not going to let this be a one night thing. I'm going to let it be what I do. And this, this is going to be how I spur my walk moving forward. And it changed so many things for them. During worship, I asked people to listen to what God was speaking to them through the Spirit. Now, what if, what if that feeling in that moment for all of us went beyond a night? It went beyond one night and it turned into this is what we do every day. Not every day come here and have a big worship night, but I think you get what I mean, right? Your, your attitude every day is that of saying, God, today I'm making it right with you before I do anything. Getting right with you, going to worship you and love you, and then we go through our day. What would that change? How would that look? How would that feel? How would that change the conversation you have with, with someone in your life that you normally don't look forward to having a conversation with? An angry coworker, an angry neighbor, an angry family member, but how would that conversation change if you gave your entire day to God before you had those interactions? How amazing would it be, right? I know that God speaks to me and gives me things to process during worship, and it's usually opposite of what I'd be telling myself in those moments. That's, what, that's when I know it's, it's God. When it's a really, really good idea, I know that's definitely from God because I typically don't think of those things on my own. Or when it's totally opposite of something that I know I would think. It's like, man, this has got to be God coming at me. And I know that it will always be. It will always be opposite of what the enemy would say in those moments. It would always be the opposite, right? What I love about God, he's given us his Holy Spirit to live in us. 
He'll speak to us when he wants us to do something, to say something, to go somewhere that we know we shouldn't. And he does this because he wants to develop this relationship. This walk is not just a you do it and I'll catch up. This is something he wants to do. He wants to develop a personal relationship with you and me where he speaks to us about what we need. God doesn't have to do this. He wants to do this. And I think that encourages me and gets me more excited than almost anything. He doesn't have to, but man, he wants to. I'm thankful that God doesn't look at me when I go off on my own and say, man, what a failure, man, what a sinner. But God looks at me and says, man, this is the son that I love who I sent Jesus to die for, and I want him. When I come back and I say, I say God, this is, this is where my failures are. He doesn't say, yes, Dustin, you're a failure. He says, Dustin, you're redeemed. Dustin, you're saved. Dustin, I love you. My son did this for you, so I see you as my child. That's what God sees. That's what our walk encourages. And God knows what we need in these moments. Last year, I got a fever, um, and it wasn't for more cowbell. I got a fever, and it was 103.7 for 24 hours. I was literally 0.3 degrees away from needing to go to the hospital. And this was on a Saturday. So as I woke, and I, you know you're sick when you have a dream about being sick. So Friday night went to sleep. In my dream, I was really, really sick. And then Stephanie said in the middle of the night, she leaned over and I had the shivers and she knew like, oh no, before I, I even woke up that I was sick. I woke up and I don't think I got out of bed all day. Temperature was up and I was just, felt like I was dying. And then Stephanie started to panic because she said, tomorrow is Sunday. What are you going to do? I was like, I'm going to go to work. She goes, you can't even get out of bed. <laughs> what are you going to do? So my, my prayers turned into, God, what do I need to make sure I can get to church tomorrow? And I, I told her, I said, here's my plan. If I have to, drag myself out of bed, get ready. I will wait in my office until worship is done. And then whoever does announcements announces, I will do my best to put on a happy face, come in here, deliver the message, and then go collapse in my office. That was my plan. And I remember um, God saying, I was, I was praying, I was like, God, what do I need to do? And what's funny, it, it's kind of funny, he, he gave me two things. He said, Dustin, rest. Stop panicking, just rest. Two, Dayquil. It's going to be awesome, take it. I remember Stephanie going to the store and bringing home Dayquil. So after a whole day of rest and what seemed like a gallon of Dayquil and NyQuil in 24 hours, I can honestly say I woke up Sunday morning and I felt fine. It was great. But I knew that, it, it's funny, God, I believe God works through medicine and modern doctors and science and things, but, but God gave me those things in that moment, said just relax. Take your medicine, let, let me take care of this. But I didn't want to dilute what God had. Sometimes I think God can give us a prescription for things and we want to dilute it. Now can you imagine if I took that medicine and I said, hey, I'm going to take this, this shot of NyQuil and I'm going to put it in a gallon of water and then drink that water. What happened to that NyQuil? Not, nothing really, right? I diluted it. I, I, wouldn't do, I wouldn't do what it was designed to do because I added it into something else. Sometimes I think when in our walk with God, we can try to dilute our relationship with God. We can say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something else instead. I'm going to put a little bit of this in my walk with God instead. And God's saying, no, no, just focus on me right now. Don't mess with this formula. Don't, don't mess with this walk I have. And we start saying, God, I want to do this instead. And it starts diluting this path that we have. I don't, want to do, I don't want anything in my life to dilute my walk with God. I want my walk with God to be concentrate. I want it to be pure and say, this is what I'm giving. This is what I'm taking. I'm, it's going to be full because it's everything God has for me. And it's right now. Not later. It's right now. I'm going to go for it. I want to have this relationship with him. 
Now, I just had one of those moments where I looked at the clock and thought, oh man, I've got a lot more notes and not a lot more time. But I do want to I do want to summarize a couple other things that we learned from Enoch. The last thing is that that when we walk with God, this really brings forth destiny in our lives. When we walk with God, this really does bring forth this destiny, this, this, this fulfillment of God's plan for us. We, we get to know that we're not just wandering around somewhere, but we are going to a destination God has for us. We ha- he has a place for us that we get to go to when we walk with him. For myself, I know that something that, that I, I, I put on myself as, as just as a husband and a dad is I have a genuine concern for where are we going as a family. Where are we going spiritually as a family? Where are we going financially as a family? Where are we going just as a family in general? What is the direction of our household going to look like? This is something that I'm concerned about. That not, not concerned like it freaks me out, but I put thought into it. I care about it. I know that when I walk with God, I want that to be the same concern in my walk with God. God, where are we going? Not something that freaks me out, but something that I'm concerned in a good way about. Something I put time into. Something I put thought into. Something I know that God has put time and thought into. My walk with him. I don't want to do it casually. I want it to be good and focused and have a clear direction for how I want, to, how I want this relationship to grow and develop. Solomon in scripture had a moment where he was in tune with God. He had, he had this moment where God said, I'll give you anything you want, Solomon. What do you want? Could have said money. Could have said power. Could have said just everything. And he said, God, I want wisdom. It's like in this moment, he was walking in tune with God and he got wisdom. Solomon then also got a whole lot of ladies around him, whole lot of wives, whole lot of money, and ultimately some things took a turn for a worse. He let his walk with God get diluted with the world around him. And in the end, it took him down a path that ultimately didn't bring him joy and fulfillment. It led to some other things instead. Today, I think it's, it's easy to turn away and lose that passion for God when we let things dilute it. We start seeing the, we say, oh, the grass is greener if I just do this on my own instead. And we start losing focus on the pure, concentrated love and path of Jesus. Have you guys ever seen uh, the stuffed animals, uh, the the claw machines? I was talking about that uh, this morning with someone, and immediately everyone goes, the claw. You know, Toy Story, right? Those claw machines, though, you go, you you put your, your 50 cents or even a dollar now at some arcade. Man, they are just expensive. But I remember being with Aurora. We were at a birthday party for one of her friends. We're at Round Table Pizza, and there was this claw machine. And she was like, Daddy, Daddy, can you get me that stuffed animal? I was like, you bet I can. I'm good at this. So I put in 50 cents, and I, I go for this claw machine. Didn't get it. Luckily, Daddy came prepared with lots of quarters. So we started going for it. We start going for that toy. And, man, it looks so easy at times, right? You, you, you position that thing right where you want it to go. And you're going to get that claw, or you're going to get that toy. But then, you know, the toy comes, the claw just kind of just falls off to the side. There's no substance to that thing, right? It falls down. You don't get it. And in this particular instance, I actually did get the toy. Well, we didn't get to keep it, but here's what happened. The claw got it, went over to the hole, and Aurora's, like, cheering my praise. It's like, Daddy, Daddy. I'm sitting there. There's kids watching. It's like, that's right, kids. That's right. You know, the, the master is here like $10 after the claw machine, but it comes. And it doesn't drop the toy. Like, it, it just hovers and stops. We're like, what? And I didn't want to, you know, shake the machine or hit it with all the kids watching. If it was being by myself, maybe. But, but I, I, we're watching this thing, and it just stopped. So I thought, what's the logical solution? Let's put another 50 cents in, and maybe when it resets. I put 50 cents in, it goes back, and drops it just back. It's like, no! 
I remember I went to the counter and told the people, like, we didn't get the toy. Here's what happened. And I could tell they were kind of like, uh-huh. Uh-huh, right, yep. And then it turned into, um, we don't even have keys for the machine. You know, the, the company does that, so you can try again. We didn't get the toy that we wanted. And I remember feeling so burned in that moment. Like, they, they thought I was lying. The kids, uh, the, the hero songs quickly dissipated. I didn't get what I wanted, and I felt burned. I've seen so many people in life go for what they want so hard and then feel burned by God that they didn't get it. God becomes the one that they, they blame and say, man, I didn't get this and I tried so hard. I was going for it so hard. I kept putting my coins in that machine and I kept going for it and it's God's fault that I did not get it. But that's an example of someone diluting God's will in their lives with the things of the world. That's an example of someone saying, God, I know we want to walk this way, but I'm going to go this way and then be ticked off that you're not turning the corner with me over here. Sometimes we don't get that thing for a reason. Aurora had plenty of stuffed animals. It was a-okay that we didn't get it. But sometimes we don't get things for a reason. Sometimes God answers prayers in a way we didn't expect for a reason because he has plans. He has a destiny. And when we walk with him, we get to see that unfold. But it's when we walk with him at his pace and see his progress, that's when we start to see God's fullness in our lives come because it's his fullness in our lives. I'd like to invite the worship team back up as we come to a close today. But someone, someone here today, maybe, maybe you don't know what walking with God is like for you. Maybe, maybe you don't know what this journey looks like at all yet in your heart. I want to encourage you, that's okay. Keep at it. Keep your focus on him. Keep walking towards him. Let him be the one that unfolds what this walk looks like. Don't be the person that just put a mortgage payment into the claw machine and is ticked off that you didn't get the stuffed animal. You didn't get the goodie that you were going for. Don't blame God for those. Ask God why you're having those. See what direction he wants to point you in and allow yourself to turn to him and let the walk with him bring you the greatest joy. This Easter season, let that be our resolution. Follow him with a resolute heart. And as we walk with Jesus in his last week of life, we're gonna get to see the hard walk he took for the biggest gift we could ever have. It wasn't easy. We'll even see that he wasn't looking forward to it in any way, shape, or form on that last night. But we'll see how it was so good. And how it was so amazing that nothing else could ever take its place. Would you stand with me today? Maybe someone here is like David and there's, there's sin in life that needs to be made right. Or maybe you're like the prodigal son. You're in a rebellion phase. I'm going to do it my own way. Maybe you're like Jonah. Maybe you're just running away. <laughs> saying, nope, I'm not going to do it. Maybe you've been drifting in this relationship. But I want to encourage you today. And today's a great day to come back. Today's a great day to say, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn away from this sin. I'm going to talk to you about my sin. I'm going to give up this rebellion. I'm not going to run. I'm going to run towards you so I can run with you instead. And trust me, when he gets you, he gets you where he needs you to be. Amen? Let's pray. God, you are so good. God, I thank you that, that we get to walk with you. I thank you that you choose to walk with us. God, I pray for everybody here that, that when we make this decision to say, we're going to walk with you, that, that we go at your pace, that you, you, you make clear this, this, this decision and the choices. You allow us to pinpoint things in our life that aren't of you, that aren't walking with you, and that we're able to give it all to you so we can experience your best. God, I know it's going to be hard. I know there's going to be things that, that we didn't experience, things we didn't see coming, but I love that you see them all coming, and you can help navigate through all of it and make us better because of it, God. 
I pray that, that we all walk out of here today with that new sense of urgency of walking with you this year and this season, and we never look back. We always look ahead where you're taking us, and it's a wonderful, awesome journey. We thank you, God, and we love you. And everybody said, amen. amen.